Well, this evening we continue our study on angels and demons. Last week we looked at angels in the Old Testament. This week we're looking at angels in the New Testament. Hey, very good. That was, that was a really difficult setup there. <laughs> um, lots to see um, on your handout there in front of you. Thank you, sir. You can see there are lots of uh, scripture references. So let's see, there's eight, nine plus, uh, yeah, there's like 20. So um, we will try to give a flyover view of angels in the New Testament, marking their activity, okay? That's the, uh, the goal for this evening. So how about I pray and then we'll get started into our study. Father, we thank you so much for the amazing creation in which we live. This is your world, your universe. You have designed all these things and... God, we want to be faithful to you. We want to understand your word. We want to honor you rightly. God, help us to have a good study this evening and help us to grasp more the supernatural world in which we live, that we would uh, have wisdom in this area for your glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so angels are very active in the New Testament, as you may suspect. Uh, In the Old Testament, of course, we saw lots of activity. In the New Testament, we continue to see lots of activity. Uh, Now, where this is going to get a bit interesting is down toward the bottom where we're going to talk about what that activity continues to be today. But before we get there, let's see what it's like in the uh, New Testament. Uh, As in the Old Testament, we see angels in the New Testament uh, in heaven. We see them worshiping God. We see them guarding God's people. We see them functioning as messengers. All that stuff's going on in the New Testament just as it was in the Old. And uh, what I have here in front of you with these Scripture references are some notable descriptions. There are many descriptions we could look at. This is not the whole of it. But uh, these are ones that I find to be notable. Which means I, in my personal opinion, find these ones, these instances, particularly interesting. Okay? Now, you might have some other ones you find interesting but I'm the one who gets to teach. All right, so, all right, let's, um, let's have some volunteers just take the left side of that top section, Luke 2 through Matthew 28. If I could get four volunteers for those four passages, we'll, uh, Rex, Luke 2, Mike, Matthew 2, which the, it's uh, 13 and then 19 through 20, uh, Anna, Matthew 24, and Andy, Matthew 28. How about that? Um, and so we'll just cover these first four, And as we go along looking at all these passages, I'll be keeping track of the activities of angels in the New Testament here on the whiteboard so we can uh, see what's going on. So Luke 2, 8 through 15. Rex? Okay. In the same religion, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping a watch over the flock, their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into the heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, 
Let us go straight to Bethlehem, then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made, has made known to us. All right. So in the opening part of that passage, in verse uh, 9, it says, An angel of the Lord, singular, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. Now, which Old Testament figure whose title sounds similar to that did we look at last week? The angel of the Lord. Okay, and this is what I was pointing out. An angel of the Lord is different than the angel of the Lord. This is one angel, and then you can see, of course, his friends coming with him later on in the passage, where you have the whole multitude of the heavenly hosts. I say the whole multitude. It's not like every single angel that exists was there. We don't necessarily have that described that way in the passage, but there is a whole host of the heavenlies praising God and announcing Jesus's birth, okay? So that's obviously a pretty important moment in the New Testament where you have a whole group of angels showing up and saying, Jesus is born, okay? Amazing stuff. Matthew 2, verses 13 and then 19 and 20. Sure. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. All right, so... Again, you have an angel of the Lord. Here we don't have a heavenly host. But you have an angel of the Lord proclaiming a message to Jesus and, uh, well, not to Jesus. It was to Joseph about Jesus that he is to be spared. And here's what you are to do. Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And then after some time... Uh, an angel of the Lord, perhaps the same one. We don't know if it is the same one, but it would make sense that it would be the same one. Appeared again to Joseph in a dream, saying, okay, you can go back now. Uh, both times to Joseph here was in a dream. Uh, the shepherds was not a dream. To Joseph, it was a dream. So that's kind of interesting. Angels can appear in dreams. And so I think that's probably a significant detail. Uh, oops, that's supposed to say, oh, no, no, that's right. Message delivered to spare Jesus' family. Via dream. Okay. Very good. Questions on Luke 2 or Matthew 2 so far? And I did Luke before Matthew because that's chronologically the order of Jesus' life, even though it's not the Bible book order. I know you guys were really hung up on that. <clears throat> okay. Matthew 24, Anna, verses 30 and 31. And then the signs of the sun in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to another so now we're jumping way forward in the life of jesus and this is his uh, sermon at the mount of olives his sermon about what was going to go on in the end times Really interesting sermon, and uh, Mark's version of this has been covered in Tyler's Sunday School class, so if you wanted a deep study on this, you could check out the Gospel of Mark Sunday School class that's recorded where you get this message. So next Sunday. Say that again? This next Sunday. 
Okay. Well, you talked about abomination of desolation last week. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Not this verse yet, but still this sermon. And uh, here he talks about in this sermon about his coming, his second coming. So he's preaching here to people, which means he's already come the first time, right? And he's talking about the Son of Man's second appearance in the sky. And in verse 31, what does he say the angels will be doing? Gathering. Keep going. Gathering. His elect. And who are they? Okay. And... Uh, does he give any more interesting detail about what they're going to do, what the angels are going to do with the elect? Yeah, that's kind of all it says, isn't it? He will send forth his angels, the great trumpet, and they'll gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, we're not talking about the rapture here. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Pretty, pretty interesting. Now, um... I don't have it in here. Okay, I'm adding one. Uh, this is a calling an audible on myself. Matthew 13. Let's go back to Matthew 13 together. And uh, this too is reference to the second coming. Matthew 13. And uh, let's go. Let's Oh, let's start in verse 36. I'll read this. Matthew 13, verse 36. The wheat and the tares parable is explained. Jesus left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil... And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So what are the angels doing in verse 41 there? Forty-one. They're gathering out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. All right, so you've got the angels gathering the elect in one passage and then gathering the unrighteous in another passage. They're gathering both. Wow. Okay, not, not a ton of more detail is given on that, but that's interesting, isn't it? I find it interesting anyway. Okay. Um... Matthew 28, we'll have uh, Andy read this passage and we'll talk about it and then pause again for thoughts or questions. Matthew 28, 1 through 7. So now again, we're jumping forward in Jesus' life. And let's see what kind of role angels play at this juncture. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, 
Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. What do angels get to do there? Throw rocks around, big ones. <laughs> Okay, well, they're proclaiming the resurrection, right? How cool is that? Very important role there. And also an interesting physical description, isn't there? This is just kind of interesting. Verse 3, appearance like lightning, his clothing white as snow. Amazing stuff. No wings. It doesn't describe wings at all. But he was strong enough to roll away the stone. I mean, verse 2 makes it clear we're talking about a singular angel, an angel of the Lord, descended from heaven and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. So strong angel there, able to do that. Okay. All right, thoughts or questions here on in Jesus' life and in Jesus' teaching angels? Verse 7, he's issuing commands to prophesy. Mm-hmm. Yes, we will see this uh, multiple times where angels give commands to the disciples uh, of Jesus. Um, yeah. They can tell people what to do. <laughs> because remember, we are lower than the angels. I think that plays a role in that, right? For a little while, Jesus was made lower than the angels. For a little while, we are lower than the angels. One of, the day, one of these days, we will be judging angels, but right now... Apparently, angels get to tell humans what to do. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, look at these uh, passages on the right side. Galatians 3.19. Someone want to get Galatians 3.19? Thank you, Evelyn. And in conjunction with that, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Who can get that? Mandy? Okay, so these two are on the same topic. And this is like kind of out of left field based on what we've been talking about so far. But this is where angels are brought up uh, in the New Testament at an interesting place, and it's uh, talked about a couple of times here, um, or at least hinted at. So let's look at Galatians 3.19. What does it say, Evelyn? Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of the mediator, until the seed would come to him the promise that had been made. All right, so this verse is telling us that angels played what role in delivering the law? Yeah. They played an instrumental role in the ordination of the law. The commencing, the commissioning, the setting forth, the establishing of the law. Angels. Now, what's really, really curious about that is you go back to the Old Testament and you read about the law being given and you don't have angels being described there. So here's just some added detail to that whole process where angels were involved. Uh, but also Hebrews 4, or Hebrews 2 rather, 1 through 4. Uh, gets to this a bit. So, Mandy, you want to read that? And therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, 
and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. All right, so in verse 2, it talks about the word spoken through angels. And given the context of Hebrews, that you have a, a writer who is of Hebrew origin writing to Christians now who are of Hebrew origin, um, he's writing to them with this Old Testament background. It comes up a ton in every chapter of Hebrews. The word spoken through angels, it seems, is of the Old Testament, maybe specifically the law. But the angels played a role in delivering that Old Testament scripture. Okay. Again, don't have a lot of detail, but there it is. Thoughts or questions on that? Okay, Hebrews 13, too. If you're in Hebrews, you can just turn on over there. I'll read that. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. This is one of those famous verses. It says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Okay, tell me what that means. <laughs> they look like men <laughs> or women. They can, yeah. Because, right, the appearance like lightning that you read about earlier, that wasn't. But it's a little different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they can cloak their glory in such a way, or you can entertain angels without knowing it. Okay. Anybody else want to give me any more than that? Anything else you want to say about that? Would that mean dark or good or bad angels? Hmm. I think he has in view here just good ones. Just good ones? Yeah. Be hospitable. <laughs> okay, yeah, so that's, that's the instruction of the verse, right? Is do not neglect to show hospitality. Okay, that's, that's the whole point of the instruction. I think he particularly had in mind uh, Abraham and Lot entertaining angels without knowing it. Remember that story of Angel, or, or Abraham, uh, the three guys who show up? Okay, one of them was the Lord, Christophany. The other two were angels. And... Uh, yeah, that story gets more and more interesting as you keep reading there in Genesis 18. Rex? I think it's saying we should be, as Christians, we should be treating everybody with love and respect in them because you don't know that you might be entertaining angels. Yeah. You may just be speaking to one and you don't know it. And maybe somebody looking down your nose at for whatever reason hmm. that you don't know. Yeah, it's, on the one hand, it's enough just to know our fellow man is made in the image of God, right? And don't do that to... Don't mistreat your fellow man. There's the, uh, the dignity of all human life. The, the, we respect all human life. But the author of Hebrews gives us an extra reason. Hey, be, uh, be hospitable, everybody, because that be, might, might even be an angel. Tyler. Yeah, thinking back to Genesis 18, I don't think that it was all for the benefit of the angels. And same thing here. It's not like we're being hospitable to them because they're you know, in need of a, a bed or a meal or something. But they're in some way, giving us an opportunity to practice this hospitality. They're entertained. <laughs> Which, yeah, it's like, they don't have Netflix? Um, they they uh, show up to be entertained. And this kind of goes hand in hand with the next passage, 1 Peter 1.10, uh, 10 through 12. Because angels just don't get to do the things we do in the same way. And so... They, they're just a lot of things they can't experience that we get to experience, and they're very curious. Now, this is just really interesting. So you think about animals out there in nature, 
Some of them are really curious, like cats are known for being curious, right? Angels are just really curious. And, and this comes up here in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. Someone want to read that for us? 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12? Mike, go ahead. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searching searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you and these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. They're curious about us. Can, can angels be saved? No. Why not? Okay, they're already servants of God. What did you say, James? Yeah, they're perfect. They don't have any sin. They have nothing to be saved from. Can demons, though, be saved? No. Oh, well, now they, they're not perfect. They're not servants of God. Now, why not? Why can't they be saved? They made their choice. Okay, yeah, they, they made their choice. And next week, we're going to look at that, the fall of demons and how that was a permanent choice. We'll talk about that next week. But yeah, they're, they're not made in the image of God. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, it is not angels whom Jesus helps, but those who are human beings, okay? But, so angels can't be saved. So when they see a bunch of people who are redeemed, that's curious to them. They long to look into these things. Through those years of uh, the prophets, the centuries, millennia leading up to Christ, from Abraham through the prophet uh, Malachi, you've got these angels participating in delivering messages and just being curious. They're just really curious about these things. And there are a bunch of passages that talk about this, so I'm going to rattle off a few here. There are several in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says that the people who confess him, he's going to confess before the angels. Did you know that Jesus confesses your name before angels? It's, they're curious. They're participating. They're there. They're hearing your name. They're, they're thinking about this. In uh, Luke 15, this is a verse you know, when one sinner is saved, there's much rejoicing amidst the angels in heaven, they're cheering. They don't participate in it. They can't be saved, but they're like hearing about it and they're really excited. There's, there's uh, excitement in heaven among the angels. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul was talking kind of like uh, tongue-in-cheek here, but in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, we've been made a spectacle before angels. All the stuff we've been through. Now, even though, so even though he was like kind of saying that with a rhetorical purpose there. I think he was also telling the truth. The angels are watching Paul be persecuted. He's been made a, a spectacle before angels. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10, women are told to cover their heads because of the angels. How's that for a verse, huh? In 1 Timothy 5.21, Paul charges Timothy in the presence of God's elect angels. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God's chosen angels. Like, they're with him, making this charge. So they're very curious, and they participate in the activity of, of Christians to an extent. They can't be saved. They're not members of the church. They can't be, you know, pastors and teachers of local churches. They don't have spiritual gifts, but they participate. And then we see later on, even in the tribulation, this is in Revelation 14, I believe. I don't have that one in my notes. Revelation 14 
it says that there will be an angel during the tribulation who will fly overhead proclaiming the gospel. That's pretty cool. They're curious, and they, they participate. I think that's one of the most exciting things about angels, is that they are curious participators. And then Luke 16, 22. Now, here's probably like the most like curveball, strange one of the bunch. Luke 16, you have the story of Lazarus and the rich man. If you're in my Sunday school class, uh, we went through this this past Sunday. But maybe you missed the activity of angels in this verse. Luke 16, 22. The poor man goes to Abraham's bosom. But listen to how he got there. It says, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And then it says, and the rich man also died and was buried. <laughs> rich man, who's going to Hades, he didn't get the uh, first class through with Gabriel and Michael treatment. Um, but the poor man, who was a believer, who believed in the word of God, he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. What on earth do you think that means? Because we're not talking about his body. We know that he too was buried. His physical body was buried. Escorted. Yeah. Okay. What, what was escorted? His soul. His soul and his spirit. Yeah, yeah we're, we're talking totally immaterial realm here, aren't we? Not the physical realm, but the immaterial realm. And so, um, you know, we, we don't really get this applied to anybody else, but uh, we'll say they escorted the soul of a righteous man. Do they continue to do that today? Do they escort us to heaven? We don't have anything more than this verse. All right? So you stop where Scripture stops, and you say, that's interesting. Maybe they still do that today. Maybe they do that with every one of God's people who dies. Could very well be. But we just don't get a ton of, ton of clarity on that. Yeah, that's right. Yep, you don't know until you get there, and then you can't come back and tell us. So, huh, what's the deal with that? <clears throat> All right. So there's a bunch of stuff in the New Testament about the activity of angels. Thoughts or questions on that top portion there? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like they're describing what we would consider an angel, but that doesn't, I don't think that happens anymore. You don't think what happens? That, like, angels come talk to us oh, like okay. in the Bible. Yeah. They show up at your house and be like, hey, what's <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Or in, like, Joseph's case, up here, a dream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that is what you have to grapple with uh, where this lesson ends up is, I mean, we know they're still around. Angels don't die. Jesus taught us that. They'd never die. Um, we know that in the Old Testament and in the New, they had messages that they'd proclaim. They protected God's people in some interesting ways, and they appeared. Uh, we also just learned they appear incognito a lot of times. So you don't even know if you're interacting with one right. sometimes. Okay. So um, with, the, with all that information, you synthesize all that, and you say, okay, has something happened since the time of Christ's ascension? That has changed the activity of angels. 
Well, no, because we haven't even looked at the book of Acts yet, and it's got more stuff about angels than even what's on the board here. So they were still active then. You think, okay, well, what about after the completion of the Bible or something? Maybe they were, weren't, aren't as active anymore after that. Well, we don't really have anything that says that in the Bible. So you kind of got to figure that out on your own a little bit. It's, yeah, it's tough. Rex, did you have a thought? The only thing I have was if we think about the story of the missionaries, the five men in Ecuador, mm. as you see that in the video and everything else, and as you read about the book, and then, of course, the, the wife that wrote about it, that mm -hmm. at the time, these guys were being murdered by the natives. As they talked to those men after they become believers in Christ, they talked about that, and they just kind of was speaking of these bright objects mm -hmm. in the trees above while these men were being mm. were being murdered. And yes. It, it frightened them. Yes. Yeah. Well, Evelyn, one thing that's helped me think through this a little bit is looking at the flip side of angels, demons. Mm -hmm. Do we believe that demons are still active? Mm -hmm. Are we that enthusiastic in responding to angels being active? Mm -hmm. uh, so... Because yeah. if, we, if we believe demons are still active in the world today and are still influencing, well, I mean, wouldn't it make sense that angels still would be too? And, and the way we kind of view demon stuff is like, well, in America, it seems as though their tactics are more subtle. And we'll get all, into all this in future weeks when we start this section on demons. Their tactics are more subtle, whereas in other places in the world, it seems like it's more explicit, where someone is more clearly possessed with... Uh, the same kind of symptoms that you see in the Bible, and you don't really see that here. And maybe it's the same with angels. Uh, perhaps here they're more subtle. They're more incognito here. I don't know. Yeah, I think I get a little overly out of trust our. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is a pretty. <laughs> what, what, what this? I mean, what this study is intended to do is to provoke your thinking, because a lot of times we'll say, "Well, it's really mysterious," and the Bible doesn't talk a lot about it. Are we learning the Bible talks a lot about angels and demons? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I mean, we're, we haven't even gotten to the demon section, okay? And we've uh, got so many scriptures that we've piled up here in recent weeks. Um, however, there is still mystery. We're talking about like another realm, another dimension here. But also, we're living in it, so we need to press into it a little more. Okay, yes. Yes, ma'am. So I think part of it is there's so many more people on earth now than mm. there were at that time. So if there were 10 people having angel experiences... It was more known versus, you know, there's mm. still just 10 people having it. It's not as well known. And these things were written down as books and stories and letters, which we have those same books and stories and letters. They're just not publicized and put together in a scripture format mm -hmm. for us. So yeah. things are still happening. It's just not put in front of us as a study topic. Yes. Well, and that's an interesting point, too, with the number of people on earth. I hadn't really thought about that. But we know there's a fixed number of angels. God isn't creating more and more angels each day or something like that. There's a fixed number. And so say there are a million angels, and there used to be a million people on earth. Well, now there's seven plus billion people on earth, right? And so it, it would make sense that as the population of earth increases, the experiences that each individual would have with the angelic realm would be more sparse. Sparser. Okay. More or lesser. Yeah, more or, le more or lesser. Yeah. Andy. So, kind of to the context of what you were saying earlier, I'd heard about um, missionaries that had gone into some part of Africa mm -hmm. back in the early 
20th century, I think it was. And they were in a place where the native tribes were vicious and murderous. And they surrounded them and they were thinking they were going to die and they were praying. And the, the natives had them surrounded and then they just left. Mm. Mm. And later, mm. after they had gotten to talking to some of these warriors that had been in there that were getting ready to murder these people, uh, one of them said that they had seen shining men standing and circling them, protecting them, and they fled because they were terrified, yeah. basically. Yeah. It's anecdotal. And, and we have no reason to believe that that wouldn't happen today. Right. I think that's, that's maybe the main thing I want to communicate. We don't have any reason to believe, no, that wouldn't happen anymore. There's, there's no reason to think that. And, and to see some instances that are similar to that, let's turn to Acts together. Let's all go to Acts 5, actually. We'll look at Acts 5 and 12 together. Um, Acts 1, I'll just summarize for you. It's actually pretty similar to when uh, the angel appeared at Jesus' resurrection. You've got Jesus ascending into heaven at this point. And then the angels appear to the disciples as they're still looking into the sky. And it says that there were two men in white clothing who stood beside them. And they said, hey, why are you, why are you doing that? <laughs> why are you looking at the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken from you up into heaven, he will come just in the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. So two men in white is the description you get there. It doesn't say explicitly two angels. It says two men in white. But two men in white who just show up based on the pattern of Scripture, pretty safe to say those were angels. Okay. <laughs> yes, correct. Yep, yep, that symbol of purity. Well, later on in Acts, and again, I'm just picking out the interesting stories in Acts as I see them. Acts chapter 5. Starting at verse 18, check this out. It says, uh, They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. And taking them out, he said, Go, stand, and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. What an interesting way of phrasing, mm -hmm. go preach the gospel. Upon hearing this, they entered in the temple about daybreak and began to preach. So you have in verse 19, an angel of the Lord opening the gates of the prison and taking them out. Pretty amazing stuff. Supernaturally delivering the apostles. And then you have the same thing happening in Acts 12. If you want to flip over there, Acts chapter 12, verses 6 through 11. This is perhaps the more famous one in your mind about when something like this happened. Acts 12, 6, it says, On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Doesn't this remind you of this, the hymn, And Can It Be? I think he was you know, pulling from this a little bit. Uh, my chains fell off. Verse 8. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. 
And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel. Yeah, you think? And rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So, very, very cool story. Angel shows up and hits him, hits him on the side. and says, get up. And then leads him. Doesn't just open the gates and say, go do this like he did before, but actually leads him through. He follows the angel. And then next thing you know, the angel departed from him. Gone. Gone. But this was another supernatural deliverance, another instance of an angel supernaturally getting involved to deliver one of the apostles from imprisonment. So I think that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Rex? Isn't that what you say in Scripture about that? Maybe it's a cherubim or a seraphim. They're constantly in the face of God, waiting for a command for him to go and Mm. help one of the saints for some reason. Yeah, there's. I don't think there's any verse that would say that explicitly that way. But I mean, that, that idea is there, right? I mean, you've got angels in the throne room of God uh, at all times proclaiming holy, holy, holy. And he has uh, this council or assembly of angels, like the instance we saw in the Old Testament where he said, who's going to go lie to the king? So they were there and they're just, yeah, ready to do his bidding. Andy. So one of the things that's always kind of big my new is Angels are, are spirits. Yep. Right. But here, in this particular verse, he whacks Peter. Yep. So, obviously, they can be physical. Well, and how... They're doing God's uh, bidding. Yeah, well, this one here, to be entertained by your hospitality, mm-hmm. hospitality is almost always some sort of physical, even if you're not touching the person, feeding the person, giving the person something to drink, there's something like that involved. Uh, and that's what you see all the way back in Genesis 18 with Abraham and the two men. He gave them something to eat and drink, and they ate and drank. So, and, and that's, you know, another interesting uh, thing. I, well, I won't go there. I won't go there. Andy, stop. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I'll, I'll just mention to you, let's all turn ahead, go ahead and turn to Revelation 8. But I'll mention to you while you're on your way, um, Acts 8 and 10 that I have there on the sheet. You have uh, angels giving the apostles revelation in Acts 8.26 and Acts 10.3-8. So um, they're involved in giving the apostles revelation to advance the gospel, letting them know about stuff that's going on. So angels in the book of Acts are supernaturally delivering. They are commanding apostles to do stuff, go preach, go teach. They're giving them revelation, letting them know what's going on in another part of the world or giving them information specifically from God. Very active in the book of Acts. And they're also very active in the book of Revelation. In fact, the opening verse of uh, the book of Revelation is, this is the message given to me by an angel. The whole book here is mediated, going back to uh, the law, how they were instrumental in ordaining the law. They were instrumental in ordaining the book of Revelation. And so, uh, Revelation, you have some interesting stuff. Let's start with chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Someone want to read that for us? Revelation 8, 1 to 6. Got it. Go ahead, Stacy. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. 
And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer. And much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had sent the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. All right. So on the one hand here you have angels facilitating prayers of the saints. Not that the prayers are going to angels. No one is praying to angels ever in the Bible. Okay, that's never happening. No one's worshiping angels. But you have them involved here where they are adding to all the prayers of the saints. They're, they're interacting with saints' prayers, with your prayers or future Christians' prayers more specifically. Okay, that's going on. And then on the other hand, you have them helping God, assisting God, not that he needs help, but he's using them to dole out judgments on the face of the earth. You've got, they're, they're touching, affecting the earth with peals of thunder, flashes of lightning, an earthquake, and then they're about to blow these trumpets, and what happens when they blow the trumpets? Stuff happens, right? I mean, it's like, it gets intense. Okay? And so angels are involved in issuing the judgments on the face of the earth. Okay? Now, well, we saw here that they're touching the physical realm a bit, like I mentioned, thunder, lightning, earthquake. You see that in other places, too. That's this next set of verses, starting with Revelation 7.1. In Revelation 7.1, it says, Four angels are standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth, or on the sea, or on any tree. You know that's going to happen? If in the tribulation, there's going to be a moment where the angels are going to stop all the wind. It's crazy. Okay? But they're, they're able to do that. So again, Andy, kind of going back to your point, they're spirits. Yeah, what, what physical, purely physical being could hold back wind, right? But here you have angels, somehow, some way, because of their immateriality, they're able to hold back wind. And then in chapter 16 of Revelation, it talks about them touching the physical elements of the earth where it says they pour out one angel pours out his bowl into the sea and it became like or it became blood like that of a dead man what's the blood of a dead man like my wife's not in here so we can talk about dead person's blood <laughs> as long as no one else gets queasy what, what's the blood of a dead man like yeah not not as runny as it was before right so the sea is going to be like the blood of a dead man. And because of that, it says, every living thing in the sea died. Yeah. Well, an angel is the one who's going to do that. There's another angel in Revelation 16. This is verses 8 and 9, where he pours out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. <laughs> Which is a whole other thing we could talk about, is even when they're enduring the wrath of God, they still don't repent. That's how deep the root of sin goes. But an angel here is pouring out his bowl upon the sun, and the sun scorches men with fire. 
So they are able to touch and affect the physical elements, of course, according to God's plan and God's timing for God's purposes. Okay. And then, oh, here's that passage I was thinking of earlier, Revelation 14, 6 through 11, where uh, the angel is preaching the Great Commission. This is after the church is removed from the face of the earth. So the, so the church is taken out of the earth, and there are no longer people like us proclaiming the gospel. So God sends an angel, and the angel proclaims the gospel on the face of the earth. You have an angel flying overhead. Uh, no, no longer are there churches sending people with beautiful feet, but now you have an angel flying overhead, proclaiming the gospel, urging the people on the face of the earth to repent. So very active in the tribulation, uh, as you see in those passages in Revelation. Okay? Thoughts or questions there before we uh, wrap up with a few thoughts there at the bottom? I have too many. I don't know where to start. Well, yeah, that tends to happen. I'm sorry about that. You can ask one or two. Mm -hmm. And like the end times and stuff, is there still opportunity for people to repent and come to God during that? Yes. Okay. That's a great. That's a great question. Yes. Um, and actually, what we are guaranteed is that through this, all Israel will be saved. Now, all Israel is going to endure the wrath of God. It's a time of their trouble. That's what Jeremiah says. A time of Jacob's trouble. And Zechariah thirteen actually goes into detail about this and says uh, Israel is going to go through the refiner's fire, and two-thirds are going to be cut off. But the third that remains, they'll be refined, and all Israel will be saved. So, yes, that's what's going on there. Good. Brandon? So when Israel is saved, does that mean they will become Christians? Yes. Yep, they will not be saved in any way that's different than we're saved. It will be by believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Yep. They're inside their Messiah. That's right. And ultimately, they'll be worshiping him the way they did in the Old Testament. Yeah, they will recognize him as king. He will rule as king. His kingdom will take place on the face of the earth. And uh, as, again, Zechariah says, God will again choose Jerusalem. And he will set his king on Mount Zion. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Good. Well, let's uh, wrap up by looking at a couple more passages. Let's all turn to Hebrews 1 together. I hadn't really um, caught this verse before. I mean, I, I know I've read it several times, but it just like was sticking out this time in ways it hadn't stuck out before. We have to say that angels are still very active today in the unseen realm. Okay? Uh, there's no, again, there's no reason for us to say angels have become inactive, that they're on the sidelines, that they're suspended. There's just no reason for us to start thinking that way at all. The Bible doesn't, doesn't direct our thinking like that. And when I came across this passage, it was like, well, this really does kind of tell us how to think about this. So Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. Would someone read those two verses at the end of Hebrews 1? Okay, go ahead, Mandy. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? All right. So what the author of Hebrews is doing uh, through much of Hebrews, especially the beginning of Hebrews, the start, first half of the letter, 
as he's showing how Jesus is better than a bunch of other stuff. Better than Moses, better than uh, all kinds of things and people. And here he's specifically focusing on angels. Jesus is better than the angels. And he's pulling this verse, Psalm 110.1. He's pulling Psalm 110.1 into the picture here and saying, to which of the angels did he ever say this? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Well, he never said that to angels. They're, they're creatures. They're not that role that Jesus has. And he says of angels, verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So angels, their role is to serve us. That's their role. Now, ultimately, of course, they serve God. And we saw them doing a whole bunch of stuff in the New Testament. But at the heart of what they're doing in the present age is serving believers. Have you inherited salvation in Christ? Angels are at your service. It's kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? Uh, not that you know, they're your butler or anything like that, but uh, they are still very much involved in your life. What, one um, explanation that I liked from Dickinson's book, the one I've showed you before, is he was saying, you know, this is different than the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit comes to Christians. He indwells, he leads, guides, directs, he helps, he assists, he brings about fruit, all of that stuff. So you've got the Holy Spirit coming along internally and spiritually helping. Then you have angels externally and physically helping. I thought that was a really simple and helpful way to think about that. The Holy Spirit works on us from the inside out. He is God. He's bringing about fruit. He affects our thinking, which affects our actions. And then you have angels who are totally external. They never come in and live in your heart. Okay? Don't ever ask Gabriel to come into your heart. Okay? That doesn't happen. But they're around you externally and they help you physically, just like you saw with their delivering the apostles from prison. They are, they're angels that God uses in answering prayer. Uh, in that Acts 12 example of Peter... What were the other disciples doing? Do you remember? They were praying. And he showed up at the house and the little girl says, hey, I saw Peter. (laughs) Yeah. And like, oh, no, you didn't. And there he is. So God uses angels to answer prayers in touching the physical external realm, okay? So they continue to serve and to protect, just like police officers, Rex. They protect and serve. They observe, they're very curious again, they're they're paying attention to what we're doing. Yet at the same time, this isn't the book of Acts we're living in, and this isn't the book of Revelation we're living in. We're like in between those, aren't we? And that's kind of where it gets strange, where it's like, well, how active are they? Or obviously involved are they? We know they're active, but how obviously involved are they? Acts, very obviously involved. Revelation, very obviously involved. And that's something you've got to wrestle with and figure out, okay? Um, and uh, the Bible tells us that we need to be alert, to be alert, um, that our battle isn't against flesh and blood. So it means to be spiritually alert. Have the eyes of your heart enlightened. And sometimes I think we're not seeing some of this stuff because we're not looking. When you're asleep, you're not observing, when you're spiritually asleep, you're not spiritually observing. That's just something to think about, okay? Thoughts, questions on that? Okay, one last thing I want to show you. Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. 
we must keep this in mind too as we think about being alert, being aware, seeing what God is doing in the world through His holy angels. Last thing I want to leave you with here is actually a warning. Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Someone want to read this final passage for us? Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Go ahead, Andy. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. Mm. All right, so that second half of verse 18, this kind of goes to what I was talking about on Sunday from 2 Corinthians. Your, your whole life isn't to be built up around like visions and supernatural experiences, and you're, you're not to um, you know, go around telling people about all these things like it's you know, some sort of cred or something you get with people. Um, definitely want to abstain from, as it says here, the worship of angels. But that does tie into that next clause too, doesn't it? Even if you're not worshiping them, you can still be taking your stand on visions you have seen or things you think you've seen or some experiences that you think you've had. Be very, very careful, okay? Because you, you don't want to cross that line of idolatry or pursuing things that God just doesn't have you to pursue. So on the one hand, be alert, be aware, lean into that spiritual awareness. On the other hand, don't cross the line. And that's something you've got to figure out. You've got to wrestle with that. Okay? Final thoughts or questions? You guys seem extra sleepy tonight. We've got nine minutes left still, technically. Any of you seen Angel this week? Anybody want to talk about it? <laughs> Let's spice it up to close it out here. <clears throat> Do you think that it seems to be more relevant in places where the church is persecuted more? Yeah, I mean, you certainly hear stories from missionaries about these things more than you hear stories in local churches about these things. And uh, there are different ways that people try to explain that. I mean, some people try to explain that away and just say, well, you know, you get over there, you get people with other cultures, and they just act erratically. You know, they're just kind of, they act crazy, and they, they say they're possessed by demons, but it's just, you know, those cultures over there, it's just how they act. So they're getting attention. They want attention. Or perhaps they say missionaries are embellishing because, you know, they're coming back to their supporting church or whatever. You, you, know, you get people to try to explain it away. Um, however, it does seem like you get a lot of missionaries talking about this kind of stuff. And um, you, you can't really explain it away that easily. So I'd say, yeah, there's something to that where the, the church is uh, persecuted, where they're up against the occult. I mean, th think of places in Africa. Like, again, th the flip side of angels is demons. And so if we believe demons are active in the world and that there are people in false religions who are think, they think they're summoning you know, good spirits or whatever, and we'd say, no, those spirits that are involved are demons. Well, then, yeah, people who are out there trying to reach those people are going to see manifestations of that. And it will look different from culture to culture. I don't believe that the way it happens in middle of nowhere Africa is going to be the same as it happens in Santa Quin, Utah. But I believe you got demons active in both places. Okay. Sure. Stories where people like maybe in a car that's in the water or something, mm. so 
has ever seen that person. Yeah. Yeah, no. I, there's one, one time in my life <clears throat> where I think I may have entertained an angel. Uh, it was when I was a new believer. And uh, I, this could totally not be an angel. But it was just a, th- a story that's always stuck with me, okay? So uh, we lived out in the country. We were renting, the, renting this house after... Well, anyway, we were out in the country. And I heard some kind of a noise. It was the summertime. that sounded like a car accident or something. I ran out there. And there was a big field on the bottom end of like a drop-off from the highway. And a car was just out there in the middle of the field. And so I go out there, and it was just this woman all by herself. And uh, I went out there, and I said, are you okay? And she just like couldn't talk. There were just no words that were coming out of her mouth. And I'm a new Christian, and I'm thinking, I've been hearing a church when you share the gospel. And this is like, God's telling me to share the gospel. And so I was like, well, God, God saved you. God spared you, you know. This could have been really bad, and God spared you. And I explained the gospel uh, as best as I could at 17 years old as a new believer. And uh, just still no words. I don't remember her saying one thing. And I, she just got back in the car and disappeared to the horizon. It was a very weird thing. So I always thought about maybe that was my one shot in life to entertain an angel. I don't know. I don't know. But, yep. Someone better tell something else. I don't want to end with that. Someone, <laughs> someone got share run something over else. By a powerboat Got run over by a what? Powerboat. Are we just sharing random stories or is an angel involved with that? <laughs> well, I think, I think God was using an angel to keep me from dying. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I deserve to die. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amen. It was fun. <laughs> we are very aware that we're entertaining Tyler. He's, yeah. Tyler's, right. he's not an incognito angel. Was it an inboard or an outboard? <laughs> it was an outboard. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, okay. Well, interesting stuff. Well, next week we'll talk about. Um, the fall of Satan, which will be kind of a review. You know, we've gone over that already, and I, I think you've heard about that before. There were various studies in our church. So we'll, we'll hit the main points on that, and then we'll spend a good amount of time talking about the fall of demons with him, or the fall of angels who became demons with him. Um, yeah, which is quite curious. Perhaps a third of the angels became demons. There's a passage that talks about that. So let me pray, and then we'll be dismissed for this evening. <clears throat>